Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. If you listen to the intro, you know that we're starting this journey with a look at topics that the church spends a lot of time discussing and debating and sometimes even splitting up over, but that we never hear Jesus talk about. It's a series called I Didn't Say That. And generally, these episodes will stand alone. You won't need to listen to them in any particular order. However, I'd encourage you to at least listen to these first two episodes that are coming out today together. They're all about belief and what we believe and what belief even means. But then from here on, I'll put out an episode each week and you can feel free to listen to them in whatever order you wish. That's enough introduction for today. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. I hope you enjoy this first episode, Personal Jesus. At some point during my sophomore year of high school, these flyers started being passed around our school. This big church just outside of town was hosting a youth night, and the words free and pizza were larger than all the others on the flyer. And Everyone I knew was going, so I decided to tag along. I got dropped off, and I told my dad that it was supposed to be over at 7 o'clock, so I'd be out front waiting for him then. I walked into the gymnasium at the church, and there were at least 100 kids there by then, And this guy picks up the microphone and he welcomes us and he says he's going to bless the food and that whoever is still in the room when he's finished has to stay until the end. And at 15, that struck me as kind of odd. And at nearly 40 with kids of my own, it strikes me as even more unsettling. And we ate as much pizza as we could before being herded into the sanctuary. And I don't remember once we were in there hearing any music or, or any other message that night. Except that, we needed to accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. As an already baptized and confirmed member in my Presbyterian church, I tuned the guy out. But my ears perked up when he stopped talking about Jesus and started talking about all the folks who were going to hell. Some because they hadn't accepted Jesus, and others, like me, because we hadn't done so the right way. He started with the usual suspects, the Buddhists and the Muslims and the Hindus and the atheists. And then he moved on to the Catholics, which was unsettling to me because I thought they were still in the family. And then came this litany of all the reasons the Lutherans and Episcopalians and Methodists and Presbyterians why we were all going to hell too. And it was the first time that I'd been told that I was destined for damnation because my parents had made a choice for me as a baby. And I was floored. I looked down at my watch and saw that by then it was already after 7 o'clock, so I got up and hurried to the exit where I was promptly told that the speaker wasn't finished talking. And so I needed to return to my seat. I told the women who were there at the door that my dad was outside waiting on me, uh, and I told him that I needed to be, he'd pick me up at 7 o'clock, but that didn't seem to matter to them, so... I went and sat back down while I know my dad was fuming in the car, thinking that I was ignoring him. I waited for this man to finish and tally up how many young people had accepted Jesus personally as their Savior that night. And when I finally got to the car, my dad said I was not to go to any other functions at that church. And I told him that that was just fine by me. 
I tell you that story not to poke fun at anyone or to cause your eyes to roll at someone's insensitivity. I share it with you to highlight one of the most profound splits I think the church has ever taken from Jesus. See, Jesus never asked us to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. That's a decidedly modern concept we came up with and popularized, and when I say we, I mean Americans. And I mean Americans in the last couple hundred years. What Jesus did say, what we do hear him saying in the Gospels, is that we should believe him, that we should trust what he says, that we should follow him. And not once did he say that in order to gain any reward, did we have to accept him as our personal savior. Jesus never sought acceptance, ours or anyone else's. And I think there's three reasons why. First, that question turns Jesus' entire message of grace into a merit badge that we can earn. And our words, our answer becomes the key to our salvation, not God's work in and through Jesus to reconcile and restore us. We become the central figure, the one who can decide our fate. Our answer outweighs Jesus' effort. And second, when it becomes about us, it stops being about others. A personal Savior is only needed when my life is only about me. But if we look at the history of the tradition leading up to Jesus, we see no discussion, not even a hint, of the idea of individual salvation. It's always that the choices we make are for the good or ill of the entire community, or that the Messiah will come to restore all of Israel, or that in Christ we are all reconciled. A personal Savior makes it about me and Jesus, not us and Jesus. Not the well-being or sustainability or salvation of all people. If I'm good to go, then I have no need to be concerned about anyone else. And finally, when we believe that we need to accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior in order to find salvation, we assume that Jesus came seeking acceptance, that he's busy tallying up RSVPs and counting how many of us are coming to the party and that the value of his work will be measured by the size of the crowd. But you don't hang out with the folks that Jesus spent time with or stand up to the folks that Jesus got in the way of if acceptance is something you need. Jesus was going to do what he did, whether he was accepted for it or not. And not because he was some hipster who liked to go against the grain, but because everything was and is always about what Jesus could offer, not what he could accumulate. If we believe that Jesus concerned himself with acceptance, then salvation boils down to little more than accounting. A column for who's in and a column for who's out, and the difference between the two determines his success. And that's why that preacher was there that night in that big church sanctuary. From his perspective, the ends column was a little light and needed a boost. 
He never talked to us about changing our behavior or doing any of the things we're told Jesus did. He never talked to us about following Jesus. He just talked to us about accepting him. He told us that if we said these words, we'd get our ticket into heaven. He was a numbers guy. But it's never about numbers with Jesus. It's always about relationships. In my reading of Jesus' life, I never get the sense that Jesus did all he did and endured all he endured so that we would accept him. He did it because he cared about us, no matter how we felt about him. He came to give us a gift, not to make a deal. Should we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior? I don't know if that matters as much as seeking out the kind of relationships that Jesus built and showing up where Jesus showed up and worrying more about we than me and sharing what we have without consideration of what it might cost us or what it might gain us down the line. Decades before I spent that evening in that big church outside of town, On the other side of the mountains from where I grew up, another young man named Miles Horton sat in a room at his church while a missionary talked about the importance of going to the ends of the earth, to living out the Great Commission as we read it in Matthew's Gospel. None like me who walked away and didn't say anything, Miles stood up and asked this missionary a question. It was something to the effect of, if we go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel and people turn away, you've said that they are doomed to damnation. But if they never hear it, God will forgive them and welcome them into heaven. So with that logic, shouldn't we just leave them alone so that they'll surely be in heaven with us? And the missionary was probably as pleased with that question as I was with being told to go back in my seat until the preacher finished. And if salvation is a numbers game, if it is ins and outs, then maybe Miles was right. But it's never about numbers with Jesus. It's always about relationships. But numbers or not, I think that the most important thing we can do isn't to ask people, if they have or if they will accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. It's not to be bean counters for Jesus. The most important thing we can do is to live a life that follows his lead and compels our neighbors to do the same, kind of like Jesus. But what does that look like? What does that look like for you and for me? It probably looks a little different for each of us, but I think it comes down to the same questions. Is my life taking me to the same places Jesus' life took him? Is my life taking me there with the same motives? Or am I consistently ending up in the places that make my life easier, more comfortable, more acceptable? Put more simply, am I following Jesus? So let's follow Jesus. Let's allow him to lead us to the same places his life led him. Let's follow him there with those motives. Let's end up in the places where he found himself, with the people 
he found himself surrounded by. So I think if we do, it'll be a lot easier for us to end up where he is one day. And after all, I think that's what we all hope. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.